Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's session of the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is uh, Keith McLaughlin. I'm going to be your moderator today. Um, quickly, I have a few housekeeping items to mention. I will remind you uh, that this session is being recorded, and to please turn off your phones. Lunch is $11 today. Uh, please remember to place that sum in the basket located at the center of your tables. Uh, it's May Day today, Yay! and uh, I just wanted to quickly mention about a, a victory for this community that was announced yesterday when Golden Key withdrew its application to frack within the city limits of Lethbridge. And I think it's very important to mention the work that every, a lot of people did in this room and of course SACPA did in engaging the community, engaging Golden Key, and uh, making sure that the community's voice was the one that was heard and the one that prevailed uh, in this, it really goes to show that popular democracy is alive and well in southern Alberta and that when the citizens come together, they can still get their voices heard one way or another, even if our government officials did not really respond and take action in this regard. Uh, the people who did uh, and organizations who helped facilitate that discussion essentially scared the developer away from doing so. So congratulations to SACPA and everyone else who had a hand in that. Uh, getting back to our regular scheduled program, uh, SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of its members and session attendees to continue its work. If you are interested in becoming a SACPA member, memberships are available from Lisa Lambert. She is just right there to my right. Uh, SACPA would also like to thank its partners, the University of Lethbridge for its support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for their hospitality and excellent lunches, Shaw TV for broadcasting these uh, sessions every Sunday at 4.30 p.m., CKXU 88.3, and the Leopard Herald for their coverage of SACPA events and speakers. Uh, today, our speaker will speak for about 25 minutes. We will then break for lunch, after which a question and answer period will commence, which will conclude at about 1.30. Today's topic is the Fair Elections Act. How fair is it? The Fair Elections Act is working its way through Parliament as we speak. In fact, today they are in committee as well. Pierre Polyev is Canada's Minister of State for Democratic Reform. He has brought forth Bill C-23, which proposes numerous changes for, uh, to the Elections Act, uh, including rules for voters, candidates, parties, and Elections Canada, whose job it is to make sure that elections in Canada are free and fair. The Harper government says the act will boost penalties for offenses, reduce voter fraud, and employ political and empower, excuse me, political parties, as opposed to Elections Canada, to be the driver of voting turnout or voter turnout. Uh, as mentioned, this topic is very fluid at the moment. The government recently announced that they plan to make several amendments to the bill, including the controversial and contentious issues of vouching, new fundraising rules, and the potential political appointments of polling officials. Our speaker today is Dwayne Bratt. He is going to assess the overall fairness of the proposed legislation and speculate on what amendments, suggestions from opposition parties, and the Senate panel will be included in this final act when it's passed into law. 
Dwayne Bratt is the chair and professor of the, in the Department of Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. He teaches in the area of international relations and Canadian public policy with a specialty in the subfield of Canadian foreign policy. Uh, if you haven't read any of the edited textbooks that Dwayne's been a part of in Canadian foreign policy, but you seem to uh, uh, recognize his name, it's because Dwayne is a regular commentator on political events in Canada, uh, showing up in numerous newspapers across the country, and he's also active on Twitter. So please give me, or please give Dwayne a warm Southern Alberta welcome. mentioned uh, I do a fair bit of, of media work and I was up in Edmonton uh, last weekend attending a retirement celebration of uh, my uh, PhD supervisor and I had one of my former colleagues come running over and she had seen this this article in the Edmonton Journal with me speculating on uh, the PC leadership race in Alberta and the only photo they had in there was a photo of me and she goes oh my god Dwayne's running for the leadership so I would like to put that to rest uh, I am not a candidate for any party of any office um, the, the second thing I'd like to ask before I get going is how many people in this room have operated at a polling station during an election that's kind of what I figured you were uh, dare I say that the right demographic uh, for that and this is important because this really affects a lot of what your jobs uh, would be and I often say it's a little political science humor that in a democracy it's not who votes it's who counts the votes uh, that, that's important so the talk that I'm going to give is I'm going to talk about what was the original aspects of, of Bill C-23, the Fair Elections Act, what was in there, why it was in there from the government's perspective, talk a bit about some of the criticism and who was criticizing the bill, then talk about the amendment process. This would have been a lot more interesting a week ago, but probably a bit more accurate today. And then I'm going to wrap up with what I see as sort of the ulterior rationale uh, for the act. Uh, so this is a major bill. Um, it wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an omnibus bill because an omnibus bill is a bill that has uh, clauses in all sorts of different pieces of legislation. This is dealing with one piece of legislation, but there's an awful lot in here. It's talking about rules for voters, for candidates, for parties, and for election monitors. The purpose, the stated purpose, is to reduce voter fraud, to empower political parties to encourage voter turnout, to revise campaign financing, and to boost penalties for electoral offenses. Uh, the government wants it passed by June, that would be June of 2014, so that it will be in effect for the forthcoming election in the fall of 2015. At its current position, it has passed second reading in the House of Commons, and it is currently passing amendments, 475 pages of amendments, uh, through committee. It started Tuesday, it'll be going all night, it might even be going by Friday. Then it needs to pass third reading in the House, then it goes to the Senate, and it has to get royal assent. It's really being fast-tracked here There's, uh, to, to ram this stuff through by, by June. The key aspects, and probably the most high-profile one, is to end vouching. Well, what is vouching? Voting, uh, vouching is a voter ID catch-all. If you don't have proper ID, either proper ID to say who you are, but also, and very significantly, where you live, um, then a voter in your polling area that has proper ID can vouch for you and you'll still be allowed to vote. The government argues that vouching has contributed to voter fraud. 
In the 2011 election, 12.5 million Canadians voted, and 120,000 used vouching, which is about 1%. Um, and so uh, the question is, if you removed the vouching, would that 1% uh, be disenfranchised, or um, were many of those 1% uh, people who shouldn't have been voting in the first place? These are things that we're going to be discussing. An Elections Canada report said that there were irregularities, not fraud. The, the two terms are not uh, conclusive, are not the same, with about 40% of vouching cases. And so Elections Canada says irregularities, so maybe they didn't have the exact right address on, on the vouching or something along those lines. Polyev, the Minister for Democratic Reform, a, a very interesting title for a job, uh, conflates that with fraud. So he says 1% of Canadians uh, were fraudulent in the last election, or 40% were fraudulent. Uh, so instead, Polyev proposes 39 pieces of ID, and if you watch him in public or in, or in TV, he's out throwing these pieces around, Any, anywhere from a driver's license to a, a utility bill. Interestingly, passport is not one of them, because a passport may not say where you live. So the government also removed the ability of using voter identification cards, which are sent out in the mail by Elections Canada as a way of showing where they live. And about 400,000 Canadians used those voter ID cards in the last election. So you cannot use those for ID, even though they tell you where to vote and who you are and which riding. Um, that's one of the things they want to limit. And that's probably the most controversial. I would argue that it, 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 there was so much attention placed on that that we ignored other problems with the act. The second is it would give political parties a list of everybody who voted. Now, this is not how you voted. It's whether you voted or not. In fact, Stephen Harper has said it's a secret ballot. It should not be a secret whether you voted or not. Now, parties were already able to grab this information in a piecemeal fashion, but this makes it very much easier. And it also reflects the growing importance of all parties, but particularly the Conservative Party and their sophisticated voter ID database. And so this will aid parties, all parties, but one party in particular in this category. Third aspect involves the chief electoral officer. He will initially be prevented from speaking publicly. Uh, Elections Canada would also be prevented from running an advertising campaign encouraging people to vote, such as student vote, which tries to uh, get university students to vote. According to Pierre Polyev, Elections Canada has failed to boost voter turnout. So voter turnout in Canada has dropped since 1988. Um, Elections Canada started doing voter turnout uh, campaigns in 1988. Polyev believes it's because of Elections Canada's efforts that voter turnout, in fact, has dropped. Uh, again, a difference between correlation and causality. Um, So what should Elections Canada do? They should be able to give technical information, where to vote and how to vote, not whether they should vote or not. Fourth aspect is to increase voter access by adding an additional day of, of advanced polling. Um, another one deals with campaign finance. Previously, candidates had limits on what they could spend but Bill C-23 would exempt fundraising efforts from that. So anybody who donated more than $20 in the previous five years, any efforts, the phone calls, the, the mailings to those people, 
wouldn't count as spending. Uh, and according to Paul Ev, fundraising should be different than campaigning. Uh, that what they're asking for is money, not getting you to vote for their party. Um, we'll discuss that too. They changed donation limits. On the first part, it's quite it, to basically allow people instead of giving $1,200 to $1,500, and then they would set a limit of, of $25 every election cycle. Um, this ranks with inflation. It's not a big deal. What is a bigger deal is the ability of candidates to donate to their own uh, campaigns. So at a normal riding level campaign, a candidate could donate $5,000 to their campaign. A leadership race, 25000 So increases there, but that's all minor, minor stuff. Then they changed the role of the Commissioner of Canadian Elections, which is basically the elections cop, the, the, the person who goes out and does the investigation and, and lays charges for violating election rules. Uh, critics uh, had previously argued that uh, the Commissioner was largely ineffective, that there were uh, election scandals in the past and the Commissioner couldn't really do anything. So the bill decides to reduce the powers even, even more. Uh, and they moved the commissioner's job from Elections Canada to the Director of Public Prosecutions. Then there's an issue of robocalls. The bill, and, and these are where I think there's some really good stuff. The, the problem with this bill is there's some good stuff in here and there's some really bad stuff in here. Uh, on the robocalls, it requires the firms and the parties and candidates using these firms to keep a recording of each call and when they made it for a year. Same thing with the dates and especially the, the script of the call. Uh, it also increases penalties for fraudulent robocalls. The bill hikes fines for election offenses and creates new ones, such as impersonating a candidate over the phone or impersonating an elections official. Um, then there's the issue of poll clerks. bill would allow the local party association or national party to nominate deputy returning officers and poll clerks. Currently, people for these positions are nominated by the parties, local candidates, not the national office. But more importantly, the winning party in each election, so the winning party in each riding, would get to nominate people to be the central poll supervisor uh, instead of Elections Canada. And I think that is deeply problematic. Uh, apparently, it's being pulled, but we will have to see. And then finally, third-party advertising. Uh, the, the limit will remain $200,000 for third-party advertising, so this might be advertising from a public interest group or a union group or a business group. But now instead of that $200,000 being limited to the campaign, it's being limited to the entire election period, which could be up to four years. So instead of $200,000 you can spend over 35 days, it's $200,000 that you can spend over four years. Political parties also have restrictions on how much they can spend during a campaign, but there are no restrictions on what they can spend outside of that campaign period. So the pre-ret ads that the Conservatives have used against Michael Ignatieff, Stéphane Dion, Justin Trudeau, those are allowed, but third-party advertising pre-ret would not be allowed. So that's some aspects, and there might have been a note or two of criticism in there. But now I'll get into what some of the criticism is. It has been widespread. Opposition parties, almost every editorial page uh, in the media, uh, the Globe Mail, uh, when this bill first came out, spent five days, uh, five straight editorial, full-page editorials criticizing the bill. Uh, Elections Canada has opposed it. 
provincial elections officials have opposed it. Academics, there was an open letter signed about two weeks ago by over 400 academics. The Senate, the Senate pre-studied the bill. Now normally they wait till it passes in the House, so it's very rare that they do a pre-study. So there was opposition within the, the Senate. And I will also argue quite possibly opposition within the Conservative caucus. I'll get to that. Now, I tried to find high-profile supporters of the bill, and I did, but they all had ties to the Conservative Party. So uh, there was this uh, op-ed that got a lot of play by a political scientist in favor of uh, the, the Fair Elections Act. That political scientist was Barry Cooper out of the University of Calgary, part of the Calgary School, very tied into the Conservative Party. Uh, Ezra Levant, uh, the Sun News uh, TV host, uh, also spent a number of shows criticizing the bill. Ken Bosenkuhl um, criticized the bill. Bosenkuhl is a political consultant, but was also one of the drafters of the firewall letter. Um, the director of the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, Ian Brody, who is Harper's chief of staff. These are some of the high-profile people who have supported it. I have yet to find a really high-profile person who is not partisanly connected to the CPC. Now, it's possible they're out there. I just haven't seen them, so please let me know if you did. What about the public? Part of this, when the bill first came out, it didn't get a whole lot of attention from the public. I mean, people normally care about health care and the economy, not the arcane rules around elections. Now, they very might, you know, come election day. But today, two years in front, obviously not. And I think there was some hope on that. The other is that if you ask the simple poll question, should people use ID to vote, you would get an overwhelming answer, yes. Why wouldn't you need ID to vote? After all, you need ID to get on a plane, you need ID to buy beer, you need ID to do all sorts of things. Why shouldn't you have ID to vote? But then you start asking the second, third, and fourth questions, such as, um, yeah, you're right, you do need ID to fly, to fly on a plane or to buy beer, but those things aren't co constitutionally protected like the right to vote is. Uh, so maybe there should be fewer barriers uh, to the right to vote. Now, I wonder if this was challenged in court, what the opinion of the Supreme Court would be on the right to vote. Uh, the second thing, then you would start to say, well, it's not just proof of your age or whether you're a citizen, it's proof of where you live. Well, doesn't everybody know who you live? There's all sorts of groups that may not. University students, uh, homeless, seniors in nursing homes, uh, Aboriginal people. There's lots of different individuals who would be disenfranchised by that. They're often not polled because they can't find where they live, uh, which is part of, the, part of the issue. So I think once you start asking those second, third, and fourth questions, support for voter ID will start to, to drop. So what do, we, what do we know about the polling data? Well, amongst those who are not familiar with the bill or haven't heard about the bill, there is a majority support for the bill. For those very familiar about the bill and fairly familiar about the bill, 60% uh, oppose it. So in other words, the more you know about it, the less you like about it. Um, and then the question was, how familiar are you with the Elections Act? Very familiar, 8%. Fairly familiar, 23%. Not very familiar, 42%. And haven't heard about it at all, 27%. So about 70% of Canadians haven't really heard much about it. Um, so take that into account when you're looking at polling numbers. 
So those are some of the groups that opposed it. What were some of the reasons? Well, the first was around the vouching. Uh, Mark Maynard, who is the chief electoral officer, argues that people may have ID, but not with their current address. As I said, students, someone who recently moved, etc. Others worry about disenfranchising the most vulnerable groups in society, uh, seniors in nursing homes, homeless, uh, Aboriginal groups, etc. Then the second is around campaign finance and this large loophole about exempting fundraising expenses. Maynard warned that this would compromise the playing field. Polyev pointed out that in the last national leadership race for the NDP, they exempted fundraising. But I would argue that there's a major difference between an internal party race, okay, which is decided by a party and they can make up any rules they want, versus a federal election. Uh, then there's the gag order around the chief electoral officer. The fourth was investigations that hiving off the Commissioner from Elections Canada from um, to another office would limit the ability of doing investigations. Uh, so while they increase the penalties for offenses, they increase the ability to investigate those offenses. Access to voting lists, there's a concern that parties would misuse personal information. Um, then, so that's about the substance of the bill. Then there are three sort of process type questions. The first is Polyev really failed to consult. I believe he had a 20 minute meeting with Maynard before he drafted the bill. Uh, and there has been an attempt to rush the bill through, hence the timelines to get this through by June. That they're changing the rules of the elections game. Uh, and then most importantly, what problem are they trying to solve? Most legislation and most changes to legislation is designed to solve a problem. What is the problem? Is voter fraud, is it that significant that we need to do this? If vouching is a major problem and 1% were vouching across the country, is that a major problem? So what is the problem? And uh, this has been attempted in a lot of U.S. states. Uh, and in fact, some officials have been fired by admitting that really their purpose was to disenfranchise groups. So there's an expression that's been used amongst academics, and it's called voter fraud fraud. And the idea is that it's a fraud that there is voter fraud. So for example, in, uh, they did a, uh, an investigation in Florida uh, in the 2008 election, and they did find cases of voter fraud largely involving Canadians voting in American elections. Uh, and they discovered 12 cases. 12 cases. 6 million voters. 12 cases. That's a big problem. Yeah, might have swung uh, the uh, 2000 election for uh, George Bush. So, based on some of those criticisms, some amendments have been brought through. As I said, 475 pages of amendments. The first is the reinstitution of partial vouching. So today, um, you can use vouching if you have ID, but not proof of residence ID. And so I think that's a significant improvement. Uh, the second is they have removed the campaign financing fundraising exemption. I'm a bit concerned about this one because it's not on the list of amendments. Instead, Polyev has just said, well, our caucus will vote against it. So stay tuned. Uh, they're not amending it. They say they promise just to vote against it. Uh, they have removed the ability of the winning party to appoint poll supervisors. This goes back to Elections Canada. This is a major, major improvement. They have removed the gag order on the chief electoral officer so he's allowed to speak. Uh, and in fact, he can even encourage people to vote 
he just can't spend any money to do that. So he can show up here and tell you people um, to please vote. Uh, he's allowed to go into elementary schools and tell them to vote. Uh, he can go into high schools and get them to vote, but he cannot take out a print ad. He cannot take out a, uh, a TV ad. He cannot um, spend money to uh, organize, get out the vote efforts. That's all prohibited. Um, only parties can do that. Uh, they've increased the storage around robocall scripts and calls from one year to three years. These are all really good amendments. And I would argue that amending a bill is part of the Canadian political process. The reason we have three readings is to allow study by committee to make changes to the bill. So changing a bill after it's introduced is a normal part of the process, except in this case. And that's because they have been so, Polyev in particular has been so strident on this bill, has defended the bill so much, has criticized opponents so viciously. And in fact, the day before the amendments were announced, he was on a prominent uh, TV news program in Ontario hosted by Steve Pakin, where he just blasts Sheila Fraser and Elections Canada and anybody who disagrees with him and then 12 hours later makes, makes amendments. So I think this is a, a political climb down and not a normal amendment. So what is the rationale? On the one hand, there's some housekeeping things that needed to be done, like increasing the donation limit from 1,200 to 1,500. There was an attempt at dealing with the robocall scandal uh, by increasing the penalties. These are all good, positive things. It's the other stuff that they threw in around vouching, around the exemption of, of fundraising from campaign finance laws, about changing poll supervision. So here I think there was an ulterior rationale. The first is that the Conservative Party really believes that Elections Canada is biased against them. They believe that the Elections Canada investigation of the robocalls and Elections Canada of the in and out scandal, uh, which involved, which was very complicated process about where uh, local constituencies in very safe ridings were funneling money back to the national office and back and forth. A very complicated scheme and Elections Canada investigate and find them for it, they believe that Elections Canada is biased against the Conservative Party. Polyev has said that the referee should not be wearing a team jersey. This was aimed at Mark Maynard and Elections Canada. Uh, Polyev, after hearing about Maynard's criticisms to committee, said that Maynard only opposed the bill <coughs> because he wants more power, a bigger budget, and less accountability. Um, Auditor General Sheila Fraser came out as a high-profile critic. He called her a celebrity who didn't know anything about elections law. Uh, Ezra Levant did a special where he keeps referring to Elections Canada as the elections liberals, um, a big out liberal. Ken Bosenkohl says that Elections Canada was focused on increasing the vote of university students who tend to be non-conservative voters but was not focused on trade students, that's SAIT or NATE, on blue-collar workers, on seniors, etc. He asked the question, and we had quite a dialogue back and forth uh, with, with Ken, and uh, I pointed out that the reason they spend more time trying to get students to vote than seniors is seniors already vote a lot, and students don't. The second thing is I said the reason they spend so much time on campuses is because there's 10,000 or 25,000 of them. That's a pretty focused group to go after, 
Um, nevertheless, he also sees elections cat as biased, that they're only trying to increase voter turnout of people who wouldn't support the conservatives. Linda Frum, um, Barbara Frum's uh, daughter, uh, who is a Canadian senator, said Elections Canada should not have a vested interest in recording a high voter turnout. That's a conflict of interest. Let me repeat that. Elections Canada should not have a vested interest in recording a high voter turnout. That's a conflict of interest. Her view is it shouldn't matter how many people vote. That's not Elections Canada job. Elections Canada job is to ensure that those who do vote do so legally. It's up to parties to get people to vote. Except parties don't get people to vote. Parties get certain people to vote. The second element, uh, so beyond the bias of Elections Canada, um, the second ulterior rationale is that campaign finance reform benefits the party that has the most donors and the most robust database, which is the Conservative Party of Canada. And I think I've spoken to you people before on how sophisticated that voter ID system is, how it's given them a huge fundraising advantage. One of the reasons that Harper tried under a minority government and succeeded in a majority government about removing government subsidies of political parties is he knows that the Conservatives have a much greater degree at, at financing than the other parties do. And part of this goes back to the legacy of the Reform Party. The Reform Party could not get money from big donors. That went to the Liberal Party. That went to the Progressive Conservative Party. They were very good at grassroots uh, donations. And they're very effective at that. So the campaign finance reform benefit a party that's the best at doing it. The pre-read advertising, which is allowed by parties but not by third groups, also benefits uh, the conservatives so they can continue to use pre-read attack ads that were very successful against Stefan Dion, Michael Ignatieff, haven't been so successful against Justin Trudeau. And finally, and probably most seriously, it's about voter suppression. And it's about ensuring the people that would normally vote against the Conservatives from an aggregate level, they can't identify that Bob or Jill are going to vote one way or the other, but they've got typologies. And so a rural white farmer in southern Alberta is much more likely to uh, vote Conservative than someone living downtown Calgary who's involved in an environmental group is female and a lesbian is less likely to vote conservative. And so it's really about voter suppression. So not only is this an unfair elections act, it's deliberately unfair. And I will leave that for you to talk about over uh, lunch and then we can come back with, with questions. Thank you.